God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. I'm wondering if any of you are familiar with the bit that Rowan Atkinson does as Mr. Bean. And I think Sharon probably is. I want, yes, okay, a couple of you, good, good. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, I'm gonna break with my normal practice here and actually suggest that you go watch it at some point, because I'm not gonna act it out for you this morning, as funny as that might be. There are a couple of clips where Mr. Bean is a cleric, a priest, dressed, you know, sort of like me this morning and poking fun at the Church of England. And there's one in particular where he tells the story of the wedding at Cana, which if you remember is where Jesus turns the water into wine. And it's worth watching if you've never seen it. I'll even make it easy. If you send me an email, I'll send you the link. It's called Jesus the Magician. And there's a part toward the end where after Jesus turns water into wine, he's also doing some other what you might call party tricks, sort of magic tricks. And the crowds have this reaction to Jesus' last trick. They were all amazed and said, this guy is really good. He should turn professional. And that is sort of how I imagine the gospel today. Jesus is giving the crowds parable after parable, making promises about the kingdom of heaven. And he says again, again, and he jumps in from one to the next. And they say, yes, yes, we understand that. Don't you think that's amazing? He says, have you, have, he goes through this long list of parables and then he says, have you understood all this? And they all look at him and say, yes. Did you understand all that this morning? It's amazing. And then he gives them one more just for good measure, just for fun. This guy is really good. Now, the first parable is one that probably many of you know well. We make quite a lot of it in the church. In fact, my grandmother had a little pin on her jacket that was a heart shape, and it had a mustard seed in it, something that the church has loved for years and years and years. It's the idea that good things come in small packages, right? Good things can come even from small and sort of less than interesting beginnings. In other translations, we hear that the mustard plant is called the noblest of shrubs, which is actually my favorite. Here in this text, it's the greatest of shrubs. But there's something lovely about the, the noblest of shrubs, when in fact, it was a weed and a very invasive, undesirable, aggressive one at that. Since I already mentioned my grandmother, I'm going to tell you a short story about her this morning. When I was a little girl, my mom cleaned out a section of the garden on the side of our house, as many do. And my grandmother and I planted quite a few things there over the years. But what I remember most about the first planting is that we made a mistake. We planted some herbs, we planted some strawberries, we planted some other little things, but among them was mint. Mm -hmm, see, most of you know where I'm going, right? We made a mistake. It took over everything. It choked the strawberries. It pulled on everything else. And I remember, I have vivid memories of sitting in the garden with little tears in my little eyes, trying to pull the mint out of the garden over and over and over again. 
because it just wouldn't go away. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That mint is just like the mustard plant. Then Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman takes and mixes with flour until it's all leavened. Leaven at the time, by the way, in the biblical world, was a sign of impurity. Our cultural understandings and appreciations have changed. God's people ate unleavened bread by God's command for a very long time. So what's interesting about this parable is that the loaves would have been seen by sort of polite, God-fearing religious society as being tainted, as being forever and changed and unable to be fixed. It would have been wholly different than what they were supposed to be. Then there's the man who rushes out to buy the field after hiding treasure in it, by the way, which is a little sneaky. And he buys this thing that the owner doesn't know is there. Spends much less, you might imagine, than what the property is actually worth. I think we might call that dishonest. Shrewd might be a nicer sort of way to dress that up. And then there's the one who sells all that he has in order to buy the pearl of great value. How crazy do you think the family and friends of these two people thought they were to give up everything they have to buy a field and a pearl? How insane do you think people probably thought they were for doing that? And then we come to this parable about the net and the fish and the angels who will come to sort at the end of the age and the master of the house who's like a scribe and has treasure to share. All of these parables have a promise in them, but each one of these promises is a little sneaky or edgy or mysterious or a little bit different than it looks at first glance. All of these promises are wholly uninterested in the ideas and customs and priorities of this world. The way that they describe the kingdom of heaven, though it sounds nice, in that one line from Jesus, is not perfect or pristine or polite. In fact, when we get into it, it is quite the opposite. What we hear instead, if we look closely at these parables, is that the kingdom is invasive. It is aggressive, like the mustard seed. A small beginning, perhaps, but it yields the noblest, fiercest, most annoying shrub. A shrub that will stop at nothing, but will keep growing and growing until it has taken over all of your garden and all of your property. Even when people don't want it, it is a fierce, persistent little shrub. The kingdom is transformative in that it changes everything like the roles that will never be the same and will never sort of be up to the standard of being used by God's people. And yet it is priceless worth trading everything else away to buy the field, to buy the pearl. It may be a little sneaky, but there is joy for those who are willing to give up everything to have it. Joy for those who know where treasure really is truly to be found. Joy for those who want more than anything to be a part of this kingdom and to help it grow. This guy is really good. 
He's making promises in these parables about joy and fulfillment, about how unstoppable the kingdom of God is, about how unstoppable the love of God is. And doing it this way makes us sort of have to realize, if we are honest and we contend with the text, that the only way to have this joy is to be a part of the kingdom and therefore be willing to give up everything else to have it, including our misconceptions about people and places and customs and priorities and what's good and what's bad, our ideas symbolically and literally about things like yeast and leaven and weeds and plants and what is noble and what isn't. Obviously, we have to give up our control. It's not us, after all, who will decide our fate or the fate of others. That is up to God and the angels, according to the parable. We have to give up the things that stand in our way, the things that would keep us busy, the things that would distract us from the field and the pearl. Really, what he's asking is for us to give up everything to follow him. And to do that, we have to have what I've started to think about as holy discontentment with the life that we live here. And when I'm saying that, I'm saying holy, H-O-L-Y, holy discontentment. Now, I don't mean that we don't love the people with whom we travel. And I don't mean that we aren't grateful for what we have. Obviously, that's an important part of our journey, and gratitude is present in Scripture all over the place, and many of us, myself included, have been wildly blessed. And we should be humbled and grateful for those blessings and those gifts. But what I mean is that we should also find ourselves completely unsatisfied with the trappings of this life, with the limitations of this life, we should not find our happiness in power and wealth or our security in the things we can build and amass. We shouldn't find our sense of self in the things that we do, the hours that we've worked, the accomplishments we've racked up, the things we save or the stories we tell. It means that when we look at the world, we need to do it with a loving and critical eye so that we can see where it's imperfect, where it is still unfair. And then not only do we see it, but we're supposed to be as relentless as the mustard seed. Maybe that starts small. Maybe it's a small thing that we do, a small action, a small leap of faith that eventually turns into the noblest of shrubs. The noblest among us who insist that the kingdom is coming even as we learn to extend our branches so that the birds have a safe place to land. It's an invitation for all of us as individuals and as a community to build justice and equality and to put ourselves in situations where until that happens, we become the safety of others, the safety net, the safe place, so that we become the leveler of the playing field, willing to trade away what we have in order to take care of others, and finding that that is where joy comes from. 
It means that we infect, and I said infect, the loaves and the world around us, the spheres of influence we have with something that the world so desperately needs but still really looks down on. It means we take our sense of community, our love, our desire to love our neighbor, and we weave it into everything that we can, knowing that even though other people might look down on it or think that we're a little crazy, that love actually is the stuff of life and eventually it will change everything. And it means that no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how much we have, we learn to identify the hunger still within us that is not for something earthly, though it does dress up that way sometimes. That we hunger and yearn and ache for the presence of God, for that still small voice, for the voice of the truth, for the presence of love, for the silence that we share in community, for the joy and laughter that we share in community, for the ways in which we witness to life and death together as one body. It means we find our contentment here, together, in the presence of God, knowing that joy will be complete only when the sun rises in God's kingdom. To live that way, to do that, to ease your way into that sort of reality, and to make it your home, the only way that we can do that is to practice having holy discontentment with the sufferings and struggles and limitations of the present time. It is a spiritual practice to find yourself so much in God that even now, even as you are grateful for what you have, you yearn still for justice and peace and the culmination of the way of love. Holy discontentment. Hear now the good news from the Apostle Paul. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced, he says, Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not anything you do or say, not anything anyone else can do or say, no amount of pulling at the kingdom can make it go away because it is like mint, like the mustard plant. It is feisty and fierce and it is coming. The day will come when it will consume all things and change the whole world with the power of love, with goodness and kindness and compassion, with joy for everyone to share, with holy contentment. No powers, no principalities can stop it. No angels or demons can change it. There is nothing in heaven or on earth, no height, or depth, not even death, that can overcome the power of God that is coming to love and save you and all of creation. So you might as well let the shrub 
run wild. Don't just visit here Sunday morning for an hour. Let it invade your whole life. And let it change everything. Don't worry about other people who might think that it's undesirable or aggressive. Don't worry about whether or not folks understand. Don't worry about what will happen because none of it is in our control. The only thing that we can control is the love that we feed and weave and give to the world around us. Be willing to trade everything else away to have this love. Because this guy is really good. Find your joy in him now, as he has found his in yours. Amen.